Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be back. You know, do you notice my suntan? <laughs> no, you can't see a single difference, can you? No, but we, we found some sun, though. It wasn't here. It was up there. <laughs> but it's so good to be back here again, though, to be with you and also to um, to share God's Word with you. My name's Pastor Richard, and I'm the senior pastor. I see senior because I'm old, but I'm the pastor. I'm the youth pastor. <laughs> I'm the youth pastor of this church, and it's such a, a great pleasure for me to introduce and to bring God's Word to you this morning. And uh, we're going through a series called Full Proof. Full Proof. We want to be full proofed so that we can live our lives with wisdom and with freedom. And there's so many things we've learned. I, I can't repeat all the things we've learned uh, through the uh, Proverbs because there's so much to it. But today we're going to be looking at what it means to um, to live or to have a prayer of confession and to see how important confession is. We tend to lose that. We tend to not um, apply it or do it, but confession is so significant and so important uh, in our relationship with God and how we live our lives every day. We're going to find that out. Every day we can find liberation and freedom and that we can live joyful lives without guilt or shame. And so we're going to be looking at that. So let's have a look. It's um, one simple verse. It's uh, Proverbs 28, verse 13. And it says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come before you this morning. We thank you that you've brought us here together. We thank you, Lord, that we're here with open hearts and that, Lord, you uh, can do your work. And so, Lord, we pray that we may uh, open our hearts to you this morning, that we may hear your word, that you may minister to us, and that we may experience the freedom of living in a relationship with Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so it says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so we need to understand what that means first. So um, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. And uh, we can, what can we think about that? We can think, what is prosper? What does prosper mean? We can think that when you prosper, well, that just means what you get lots of money in the bank, a house, a good car, and all that sort of thing. It's prospering, isn't it? We can prosper. And so people can say, okay, well, okay, so if I don't conceal my sins, I'm going to prosper. There's a, quite a few churches around that say that. That if you believe hard enough, have enough faith, you'll prosper. But that's not what the word prosper means here. It means uh, to be right with God and to be doing his will. There is no better thing than to be in a relationship with God and doing what he has called us to do or prepared us to do. There's nothing like it. Like, a, a, you know, a car feels great if it had a feeling. When it was if it's driving down the road. It was created for that purpose and it's doing that purpose and everything's okay. And so what it means to prosper is that you have a right relationship with God and then you do, you know, you live according to his will no matter what happens, you see. And so, you know, um, does everyone uh, remember Joseph? Joseph, I mean, how was his life going? He was called a proper, a prosperous man. And, uh, you know, what happened to him? Well, you know, his father favoured him. 
His brothers um, were jealous of him and sold him into slavery. He found a place where he was a servant and then he was put in jail, wasn't he? He he wasn't guilty, but uh, he was put in jail for it. And uh, so he had a terrible life. And in the end, though, he brought prosperity to uh, all the people of Israel. And so he was a prosperous man. So you see how that works? It's not prospering in one way, one part of your life. See, some people say, well, I've got plenty of money in the bank, I'm prospering, and then they think that, you know, this is great, this would be awesome, but it's not, is it? Because it's only one part of your life. And so here we learn that if you do not conceal your sin, you will prosper. You'll be right with God. And and we need to prosper. The world needs prospering children of God who are right with God and live according to how God has called us to live. And the other thing it says is that, um, but the one who confesses and renounces them, their sin, finds mercy. And uh, that word mercy, of course, is grace, isn't it? We, we find the grace of God. We're, we're living in the grace of God. We're living right with God. And so can you imagine? So you, you're living a prosperous life in your relationship with God and you feel and understand that you're right with him. There is nothing between you and God. Is that how you live? I asked myself this uh, this week, have, is this how I'm living? I'm thinking, no, I've got so much to learn. I'm not prospering as I ought to prosper and I don't feel the mercy that I need to be experiencing for me to live that free and glorious life that God calls me to live. And so what the verse says here is what we need to do is we need to not conceal our sin and we need to confess our sins. And so what we're going to look at here is what is sin... What is confession and how do we do it? And, you know, I, I need your attention. I need you to, to keep your hearts and minds open to listen to this. It's quite a bit of information that I'm going to give to you. But it's so vital in our relationship with God. And, and I can tell you in my experience that I need to come before God in confession every day so that I can live in a right relationship with him and others and that I can experience the grace that I have. In the New Testament, uh, you know, Paul and Peter, they say, grace and peace be unto you. You know that, that blessing? Grace and peace. That's prospering and, and filled with grace. And so let's, let's have a look. Okay, so sin. What is sin? Well, we need to know what that is today because we're not living in a world that really believes in sin um, or accepts sin. We're living in a world at the moment where nobody wants to feel guilty about anything they do. Everything goes. We've, we've never been like this in a time of history, I don't think. In, in our culture at the moment, nobody wants to feel guilty for the thing that they do. They don't even want other people thinking that they don't agree with what they're doing. And so, so we all feel this sort of sense of we're not good enough, we're not living up, we're not doing it. The word for sin here in the Hebrew is uh, uh, pesha, and what it means is rebellious self-assertion rebellious self-assertion. And so you know assertiveness? Well, this is rebellious self-assertiveness. And so what that says is nobody can tell me what to do and nobody can tell me how to live. And so that's, that's what sin is. It is going to God and shaking your fist at him and saying, you can't tell me what to do and you can't tell me how to live. And so we have this natural tendency to do that. And you remember, what was the first sin that ever happened? 
It was this rebellious self-assertion, wasn't it? Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they were not supposed to eat because they didn't want God to tell them what to do. They wanted to live how they wanted to live. They wanted to be their own lords and their own masters. And so what happened? Separation between us and God was caused by that, and that we, that still is in all, all of us. That, that sin is there. This We want our own way. We don't want to be told what to do, and, and we continue every day to break rules. We break our promises, and we break our relationships because we don't want to be told what to do. Examine your own life for a bit. How have you lived over your life, and how many times have you broken a rule because you didn't want to be told what to do. You found something more important and so you did that thing. Or you made a promise and you broke it because, well, you know, it wasn't comfortable or easy and you didn't really want to do it anyway, so you broke the promise. Or how many relationships have you broken or have I broken because of my rebellious self-assertion, don't tell me what to do? I think we're all guilty of it. I think we all do it. We're guilty of doing it in that many ways, and that's what sin is, you see. Sin is the thing that breaks stuff. It separates us from one another. It separates us from God. And so this is the thing that needs to be dealt with. And, you know, especially today, you know, we've got the thing, have you heard of, um, you know, the woke movement? And so what we have to do is we have to call out other people for what they've done wrong. And so we've got public opinion in our um, communities and in our state at the moment, where people are saying, well, we're going to call it out, right? So in, according to our opinion, we're going to call out what people do wrong. Why do you think they're doing that? Why do they want to do that? Do they want to have a place where everybody is equal and everything's going really well and everyone feels really happy and accepted? Or are they doing that so that they can make themselves feel better? Do you know, I'm going to go after those people that were terrible to our First Nations people, and I'm going to make them apologise, and then, you know, so I'll feel better. Or I'm going to tell these people what to do and, and how wrong that was, and we're going to deal with this thing that happened in the past, and we're going to fight for equality, and we're going to fight for, you know, veganism, we're going to fight for whatever it is. And, and so have you noticed that uh, what we do is we tend to do that, or people tend to fight that way to get this sort of equality, and yet they find themselves doing it for their own consciences so that they can feel good about themselves, you see. I didn't treat bad people, um, I didn't treat people badly, so I'm okay, you see. I didn't do that when I was young, so I'm okay. You know, that's that sort of thing goes. And when it happens, it separates. You break rules, you break promises, and you break relationships. It happens all the time. And so we can't trust public opinion. No, we can't trust our own hearts even. Paul says, I don't care about um, the judgments of others. I don't even judge myself. Only God can judge me. And do you see what we need to do? We need to see that we have to have a standard. We need to have a plumb line. We need to have a, a level. We need to have a true north. We need something that will tell us exactly what is right and what is wrong. What is sin and how to overcome it. And that is the word of God. You can't trust your own heart. You can't trust a public opinion. You need to go to God or go to his word to find the truth and then let that truth set you free. Anything apart from that, you see, is sin that causes separation. And this sin affects us in every way, doesn't it? 
I mean, think about it. I mean, I've, you know, it affects you in uh, your private life, your personal life, and your public life. So when it comes to sin, what happens? You see, uh, you're in a relationship with God, and uh, you know, God, He calls you by name, and you don't come. He shows you how to live, and you don't live that way. He gives you commandments, and you don't obey. This is what we do, isn't it? This is what we sin. How we sin uh, privately. We sin against God every time we don't do what He says or come when He calls. We all do it. I do it. You do it. We all do it. This is what we do. God calls us by name. He says, "Come to me." and you'll find rest, and we don't. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do this, and you will live, and we don't do it. Have you noticed that? Sin is in us, and it's in our private life between us and God. Every time we don't listen to God or take his advice, we're actually slapping him in the face, aren't we? We're insulting God every time God says do something, and we don't do it. Well, that's just our private life. What about our personal life or our relationship with others? You know, how many times or how often are we breaking relationships with other people in our you know, personal relations with others? You know, when um, Jesus was saying, when you go to the altar to give your gift and somebody has something against you, go and sort it out first before you come and present your altar or before you come to the Lord's Supper. He also says that it, um, if you're wrong somebody, go and sort it out with them first. Sort it out. Make sure that you're right with everyone. But we tend not to do that. And that is sin, isn't it? Sin is separation. Separation from God and separation from others. And then we do it publicly. We can sin against a whole community so easily. I think the the biggest example is in the Corinthian church. You know, the Corinthian church, Paul is writing to them and they're a mess. I mean, there's so many converts and so many people that have come in and they've come from terrible backgrounds and and so they're trying to live the faith but they're messing up and they're getting things wrong. And then at one point Paul says, "Um, I can't believe you people. You've got a community and there's one guy there sleeping with his father's uh, wife and you're proud of it. You're accepting it and saying that's a good thing. And so what does he say? He says, shouldn't you rather be filled with grief and have put out of the fellowship the man who has done this? And so that's a public sin, isn't it? And so when you have a community of people who are in love with the Lord and in love with Jesus and growing in their relationship with God, you can sin publicly by sinning in front of everybody and then everybody accepting it. That That's sin, isn't it? And so the point is, though, isn't it? It says, uh, shouldn't you be filled with grief and and uh, and hope that you can bring, you know, kick the person out in the hope that you can bring the person back? Filled with grief as you put him out of the fellowship. It's it's not like be angry with that person because he's terrible. But do you see how it happens? So we we sin privately to God, we sin personally to one another, and we sin publicly as we live a disobedient life in the public or in the community that we're in. That's sin. Is that encouraging? You're all sinners. Oh yes, and I'm the I'm the greatest or something. You know, we're we're all sinners, aren't we? This is sin, and it's in all of us. You just have to look and say, "Yep, there it is." And so, what are we going to do, Richard? I'm going to move quickly to what is confession because confession fixes everything. 
And so what does it say? It says, whoever conceals his sin does not prosper. And so what you have to do is not conceal it or cover it up. We, we so easily cover up sin, don't we? We cover it up by saying, well, it's not that bad, or I didn't really mean it, or you would do the same thing if you had the mother I had, you know, or, or you know, you don't understand, you know, it's, I'm not as bad as other people. And we, we cover things up all the time. But the first step to confession is not to conceal it, to say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Not to hide anything, not to justify anything. To stand in the presence of God and say, yep, I'm a sinner. I'm stained in every part. There is not one molecule, there is not one action, there is not one word that isn't stained by sin. I am a sinner. And I can, I can prove it every day. And this is how I come before God in the morning when I pray, isn't it? Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me because I am a sinner and I can prove it. And I'll start the list, but I have to stop because it will take all day. You know, sin is in every part of all of us. And so we need to say, I'm a sinner. Can you do that before your God? Can you look at God in the face and say, I am a sinner. I am sinful in every way and in every part. Can you do that? If you can't, then you'll remain separate. Then you'll keep on working on your own salvation and your own goodness and say, oh no, I'll be okay because I've done this thing wrong, but I've done this thing good and then God will like me because... No, you know, we need to know that it's actually, we need to expose our sin, confess it to God, and then what happens? We need to know and have that straight edge. And if we don't cover it, then we expose it and then we show it for what it is. Now we've got to watch our confession though. So, you know, you know how you get, um, you can grieve over your, the wrongs you have done to God? You have to make sure that you grieve or confess in the right way. So many times we can grieve because, um, because it's upset our pride. So we can self-flagellate. We can say, oh, you know, oh wow, woe is me. I'm a terrible person. I can't help it. I, you know, I'm really sad that I've been found out. I can't believe it. You know, you can be, you can confess for the wrong reason. But what you need to do though, what we need to do is expose, not cover it up and say, I am a sinner. I am sinful in every part and in every way. And so then you work on it privately in your relationship with God. Confess your sin to him and find forgiveness in his sight. And then in, in personally, in your relationships with others, if you can find a relationship with God where you are right with him, you experience his mercy and forgiveness, then you are qualified to give and show that forgiveness and mercy to others. The people that wrong you, you can forgive easily because you know how much you've been forgiven of yourself. See, Or if you know people well enough to know that they're mad at you, then you should go to them. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? In James chapter 5, it talks about how we need to confess our sins to one another. That's a really interesting thing to study when you consider how you sin against one another. What it says there is, it's not like go and confess your sins to one another, like go and tell everyone everything you've done wrong. It's like, no, you actually agree with the sin that's been done. And so if someone comes to you and say, you know, I, I think you've done the wrong thing. I think this, I think you need to work on this. And you go, no, that's rubbish. 
I'm perfectly okay, that's fine. But then you're, you repent of that and say, no, actually, I agree with you. You're right. I need to work on this area. We do that personally. We can, we can do that with one another. And that's where you need a community, don't you? You need people in your life that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that they know their sins are forgiven, and then you can live in a community where we can give forgiveness, receive forgiveness, love one another, and encourage one another in the faith. Wouldn't that be an amazing community to be a part of? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you can be part of a community where love is so so wonderful that you can join together and you can encourage one another? Imagine if you have the whole community coming to you and saying, you're okay. <laughs> you know, you're okay. You're working on this area of your life. You're okay. Can you Imagine if we could do that. If we could have like a community where we're all in a circle and we deal with one person at a time, saying, oh, you're okay. You can work here. You're doing well. You know, can you, can you imagine receiving... I, I received it this morning. I mean, Sean said that, he, that everybody missed us. Miss Leslie and I, and I tried to believe it, no, but anyway, but it was, uh, I sort of, anyway, part of me believed it, (laughs) and that part went, oh, you know, people miss me. I really felt that, you know, that's, that's, that's amazing. We all want that, don't we? Isn't that what we all want, to be part of a community where we know we're loved? And not just, you know, tapped on the shoulder and said, you're fine, you're fine, but where you really are loved where people know you completely and let, and love you and where we encourage one another and where we grow together in the faith. You see, when we deal with the sin in our relationship with God and the sin in this relationship way, then we are built up and we, are, we start to beam because we start to overcome sin in our lives. We start to overcome those things that we justify or hide and we can expose them and they're revealed and the light sends away the darkness and we're okay. There's nothing better than forgiveness. Have you ever received forgiveness from somebody that you've hurt? It is such a wonderful feeling when they say, you know, yes, you did the wrong thing, I forgive you. That is such a liberating thing. And that's what we need to experience as we live our lives in our relationship with God and each other. And then publicly as well. You know, I love it. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, that uh, man that was um, sleeping with his father's wife and how they had to put him out of the fellowship. Well, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 and 8, it looks like this has been fixed because Paul writes to them, he says, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Instead, or now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by ex- excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. <laughs> so, you know, it might not have been this guy, but it's something very similar, isn't it? So that was where this guy was obviously sinning in front, in front of everybody. And then they, with love, they put him out of the fellowship And then he joined and agreed with them and said, yes, what I did was wrong, now I repent. And Paul says that it was sufficient. The majority, the group, the the community together, not just the elders or the minister or the deacons, or it was the community have inflicted enough. It was sufficient. Now restore him and love him. And that's how it works, isn't it? That's 
That's um, uncovering your sin. It's being open to it. It's confessing it. It's bringing before God, before the person we've hurt, or before our community, and then receiving forgiveness and healing. And so it says, um, it says, uh, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper. And so if you expose your sin and have it dealt with, you will prosper. But the one who confesses needs to renounce. So you confess your sin, but you also renounce your sin. Do you know what that means? That means that you don't do it again or you reject that sin. And what we need to understand is that sin is separation from God and, and sin is terrible. We need to hate sin. We need to hate the sin that we see in our own lives. And we need to renounce it and say, that sin is terrible. I want that out of my life. I want that out of my heart. I want that out of my relationship with God so that I may be right with him. We need to confess and renounce and know the, the guilt of the sin and then renounce it. Okay, so there we go. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Easy, isn't it? So we know what sin is. It's in every part. We know what to do. Confess it, expose it, you know, uh, privately, personally and publicly. Great. Let's go and do that. How do you think that's going to go if I just said amen and said let's go and give it a go? Do you think it'll work? No, <laughs> it doesn't work. We can't just do it. So how do we do it? We need to want to, don't we? We need to want a relationship with God. We need the Spirit of God to move in us. We need to be completely converted by the gospel to say we have been forgiven. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus, who is God, left the glory of heaven and the worship of angels. He came to earth and he came for you and he came for me. That is the seriousness of sin. That, how, that is how drastic sin is. Jesus did that for me. We need to understand that when Jesus was upon a cross dying for our sin, that everything we've done, are uh, doing or will do was upon his shoulders. Can you imagine that you're inflicting pain upon Jesus. Can you imagine that? Does that just make you shudder? Jesus is on the cross feeling pain and he's feeling more pain because of what I'm doing. That, that is such a dreadful thing to think about, isn't it? So when I disobey God, you know, when I don't do what he says, when I don't take his advice, when I, when I act in pride or lust or greed, when I hurt people, when I break things, I'm inflicting pain upon Jesus. We need to understand that. That, that is how drastic sin is. Our sin could not be dealt with in any other way apart from God, the God of the universe, placing himself upon a cross to bear the weight of our sin, the wrath of our sin. God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins if we confess. He is just. In other words, that sin will be paid for. We can't make light of the sins that we commit. We need to know the cost of our salvation and the cost of our sin, the things that we actually did. We cannot think that through, and yet we need to think that through. Because when we do, then we understand the guilt or the sinfulness of sin. Then we know how drastic it is. And then we turn and say, Lord, I, I don't want to do that. Help me to stop that. And so that's when we need to depend upon God because it is only through God's grace and mercy and spirit that we can confess and mean it and confess in a way that will change. And so I'll just finish 
by having a look at the perfect prayer of confession. Did you know there is a perfect prayer of confession in the Bible? And I'm going to use the prodigal son. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Jesus told us that um, there was a son who said to his father, I wish you were dead. I want to have my inheritance now. Give it to me now. And so the father did, and then he went, then he wasted it all, and then he found himself feeding pigs, the lowest of the low. And then he came to his senses, it says. Then he understood. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. And what did he say? He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now that's what he practiced. He didn't actually get a chance to say it because his father was too busy celebrating the fact that he returned because the father knew his heart, you see. But let's use that. I want us all to use this. This is, this is your homework for the rest of your life, is that you need to come. I know, it's not hard. And you'll be marked, you know. Anyway, but this is your homework. So what does he say? He, he confesses to the Father. So he says to the Father, I have sinned against heaven, so I've sinned against God. This sin that I've committed is against God. In my personal relationship with God, what I have done is I have rejected God, I have rejected his way and his will, and I have willfully done my own thing. So he's, that's it. Oh, I've done that. Between me and God, this is a terrible thing. But then he says, I have sinned against you personally. I have sinned. The relationship between the son and the father is broken because of the sin that he committed. He wished him dead. He wanted just what he could give him rather than him himself. And so that is sin. So he confesses that sin. And then he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, this is so important for us to do. This is what we have to do, right? We have sinned against heaven and against others. And we are no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, this is so important for us to understand when we confess to God or to each other that this is what happens. You know, imagine the son comes in and says, I'm back. And I want to be the son again. That's arrogance, isn't it? That's, that's, you can't do that. And so what he said was, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In other words, it is up to you what to do with my confession. It is up to you what to do with my confession. See, we so easily, you know, think, oh, well, I've repented, you know, I've repented, you should accept me back now. No. When you confess to somebody, or when somebody confesses to you, they need to say to you that I'm going to, I confess this to you, but it's up to you what to do. We can't just go on the way it was before, maybe not, maybe we can. But you can't. You leave it up to the other person and their conscience and their um, the will of God to work through them to know how to reconcile, you see. So if somebody, if you've hurt somebody so badly and you say, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, and they say, I forgive you, but then it's still up to them how the relationship's going to work, you see? We need to do that with God, and we know what God does. He just hugs us and says, you're, you're back in. Get the ring, get the robe, let's have a party. But with other people, we need to say, we need to allow them to make the decision or have the choice as to what to do. And see, there's so much pain, isn't there, in churches where you say, oh, I've, I've repented, I should be fine, you should accept me back. No. This shows us that I am no longer worthy and it's up to you to make me worthy. And then the other thing he says is that make me like one of your hired men. Make me one of your hired men. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I want to serve you. I want to make this better. Isn't that a great way of doing it? This is what I'm going to do. And so I've hurt you. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you and I've sinned against the community. But what I want to do is I want to make things right. I'm going to work at it. And that's what we need to do, you see? So what we do is we, we confess before God, you know, we, we confess before others, it's up to them what they do and how they respond, but I'm going to make this right. And so when you, uh, you know, you're exposed, you've sinned, you know you've done the wrong thing, and you're going to say, this is how I'm going to fix it. This is what I'm going to do. I understand the seriousness of the sin, but now this is how I'm going to fix it. This is how I'm going to serve to make this better. Isn't that a great way to do it? And that's your homework, to work through uh, how you do that. And if you do that every day, if you can pray this prayer every day before God and, and if you have sinned against somebody to fix it and allow them to make the decision on what to do next, then you forgive them, they forgive you, and then you say, this is how I'm going to make it better. And if, you, if we can all do this together as a community, imagine the community this will be will actually grow so much closer and be so much more powerful and effective that the people around us will look at us and go, wow, you know, they're not woke at all. They're not calling each other out all the time and saying all sorts of things and covering over their own sins. They're actually saying they're actually really genuine people who love each other and encourage one another and they don't want to be apart from each other because together we feel really alive. And so this is how we live. This is how we're called to live. This is what God gives us. And the wonderful thing about it is it's not for God necessarily, it's for us. When we confess in this way, then we're the ones who come to life. Then we're the ones who become fully alive. Then we're the ones who experience the freedom and the joy of living a guilt-free life. Free in our relationship with God, free in our relationship with each other, and then growing and serving him in every way. If we can live this way, imagine the community that PC3 will be. There are people all around this uh, you know, lakeside at 2,500 houses. There are people in each one. There are families and people who are, you know, some people might know the Lord, but most of them don't. And what they need to hear and what they need to see is how can I fix this thing that I feel that I'm not good enough? What can complete me? What can make me whole? And we have the answer. And we have the opportunity to put it in their letterbox or to invite them personally or to um, come here and serve them so that they can find out what this means. And I can tell you, it'll bring liberation and freedom and great joy. Joy unspeakable comes to those who are forgiven and healed. And we should demonstrate what that looks like. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence We thank you that we can come into your presence freely because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We thank you that our sins have been forgiven, that our slate has been wiped clean, that all our sins have been taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. We thank you, Lord, that we are right with you. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to work out how to confess how to bring our our weaknesses before you, how to bring our concerns before you, how to bring our sin before you so that it may be dealt with every day. Lord, we're not prospering as we ought, 
We're not experiencing mercy and grace as we ought. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll help us not to conceal any longer, but to reveal it to you. We pray, Lord, that we'll confess it to you and that we'll renounce sin in our lives and we'll hate it more and more so that we may serve you and love you. And, Lord, we know that we can't do it in our own strength, that we need the supernatural power and glory of God, your glory, to work in us. And so, Lord, please work in us. And, Lord, we're going to experience the Lord's Supper together now. And, Lord, we pray that we may do this uh, confessing, that we may acknowledge our sin and our need of this supper, that we may acknowledge that we're the ones who have sinned against you. We have sinned against you and each other. And, Lord, we pray that you will use this feast, that you'll use the bread and the juice to teach us and to show us and make real in our lives what it means to confess and to be reconciled. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.